Welcome back to the Magic Story Podcast. I'm your host, Heartless. And I'm your other host, Natalie. In this podcast, Natalie and I provide our synopsis of the fiction story of Magic the Gathering and add our own flavor text and reactions as we go. Today, we are diving into the finale of the set March of the Machine. The finale, y'all. This has been a long time coming. This is number 10 in this season of main set stories, as well as some of the side stories that we explored with you. But don't worry, there are two additional stories after this episode in the aftermath that we will be covering, which wrap up the story even further. So without further ado, let's talk about the finale of March of the Machine. Today's episode is called The Rhythms of Life and is written by K. Arsenault Rivera. This episode opens on Kamigawa. And just for a quick recap on the last time we had seen Kamigawa, there was a big battle in the city of Tawashi. And this battle had essentially destroyed the entire city. And even Boseju, the tree, had been... Phyrexianized with a bunch of like it exploded with glistening oil. And the biggest tragedy of of that whole episode, this was this was back in episode three of, of this season, is that Tamio, our Phyrexianized planeswalker from Kamigawa, she fell in this battle. And something very sweet that came out of this was that even though Tamio fell, she had manifested her spirit, her her sense of who she really was beneath all of that Phyrexianization in like this physical story that kind of looked like her. It's almost kind of like a spirit or even a kami. And she she was able to have this uh, reunion with Nashi. And and so she's still kind of there in spirit, even though it's not truly Tamiyo. Um, it's it's like she's she's there in the way that matters uh, for Nashi. Um, and that was the last time that we had seen Kamigawa, and and we had kind of carried on to other planes of the multiverse. Um, but now we get a vision back into what is going on right after that. So back on Kamigawa, we actually see Nashi and Tamiyo return home to Nashi's father. And Tamiyo is, of course, no longer in her physical body, but her husband immediately recognizes her as his wife. And this is a really happy moment. But the fact is, all of this has impacted Nashi quite a bit, and he's no longer afforded the innocence he once had. You know, Natalie, I have a feeling a lot of our characters and planeswalkers are going to be recovering from the Phyrexian invasion for a long time. I think so, too. So speaking of long-standing impacts, we jump again to a different plane. And now we jump over to Kaldheim. And Harald is waiting for his brother, Tyvar Kell, to emerge from the water. And if you remember, Tyvar, last we saw Tyvar Kell, our elf planeswalker from Kaldheim, he was fighting a giant Phyrexianized sea serpent and he had gone, he had kind of jumped off of the helm of his ship and had gone underwater. And this was during the initial invasion into Kaldheim and Kaldheim warrior culture. They kind of met the the Phyrexians head on with a bunch of, you know, uh, 
omen seeker ships and and it was this epic battle so we're back on into this moment right after tyvar jumps off of this ship to fight the phyrexian sea serpent and harald tyvar's brother counts to 100 then to 200 then to 250 where he starts to lose hope that his brother will ever emerge at all and when he gets to the number 313 his brother bursts from the water holding the bloated head of the serpent he is victorious. And I just have to say that is so Viking. <laughs> Absolutely. It's such a cool moment. He's underwater for this really long time. His brother's like, okay, are you are you all right? Are you going to make it? And then boom, here he comes with the head of the serpent. And of Tybar, course he's all right. <laughs> yeah. And Tybar slaps the serpent and calls to his brother, telling him, you will never outdo this. And I just love that. It's such a brother moment. <laughs> it's such a sibling yeah. moment. And Tyvar's brother is just so happy to see him, though, that he cheers for his brother, even though he's being boastful. And in a normal circumstance, you know, he he probably would have gone toe to toe with Tyvar. But in this moment, he's just so happy to see him. It's just a perfect Viking moment. Um, and so from here, we switch again to the plain of Kaladesh. And here we see Pia Nalar bracing for her death. And if you remember, Pia Nalar was with Sahili in the city of Jirapur and Kaladesh during the initial invasion wave. And Pia had jumped into kind of this handmade thopter thing. And, and her friend had just died, the pilot of this, of this uh, thopter. And she was careening out of the sky when we last saw her. Um, and she's now cornered by a Phyrexian machine. And she only has this piece of sharp metal that she was able to pull from the plane wreckage. She thinks she's about to die, but maybe she can take this machine out with her. But, strangely, the machine coming at her suddenly stirs and then crumbles right in front of her. And this is the moment that they have won. Now, Pia doesn't understand how any of this happened, but she just knows that Chandra had something to do with it. And I love that moment. Pia believes so much in her daughter and really, I think that is a lot of where Chandra gets her confidence is that belief from her own mother that she's going to make it. She's going to do the right thing. She's can she can survive even this, even a Phyrexian invasion. And with that, we go back to Zalfir. And so if you remember in our battle with New Phyrexia last episode, uh, we had seen the end of Elish Norn. Uh, Karn had actually kind of disassembled her almost at the very end. Uh, we had seen... Jin Cataxius fall. We had seen Vorinclex fall. It was this epic battle in New Phyrexia where the Zalfiran warriors had actually charged in and combined forces with the Mirans and the angels from New Capenna swept in and, and kind of saved the day almost. And, and we had seen the end of New Phyrexia. And during all of this, I remind you that Ren had switched the planes. So Zalfir was trading places with New Phyrexia, which meant that New Phyrexia was going into a place that was completely separate from the multiverse, and Zalfir, Zalfir was coming back home. Yeah, I mean, New Phyrexia is essentially being flung into the abyss because she doesn't have any business being here anymore, and we don't want her here. So Bye-bye, Elish <laughs> Norn. Yeah. Yes, get out. And so back on Zalfir, I'm going to read from you directly from the story. You can say much with a drum. One rhythm tells the tale of the market's latest wares. Another, the arrival of a new family member. 
a third announces the passing of an elder. When you speak in this way, it will carry over a great distance. Another community's drummer may hear it and bring the news to their own people, with a flourish to tell them from whence it came. For centuries, the Zalfirans have known this. Whatever they speak with their palms against stretched leather will soon resound through the plain. And on this day, the message is a simple one. Rejoice. Now Teferi is here. He's home, in fact. And while the drums bring a smile to his face, there is so much loss to mourn, particularly for Wren. Teferi takes nearly two days to find the perfect spot to bury the acorn left behind when Wren sacrificed herself to save the multiverse. At first, he's trying to figure out which type of tree she'd want to be planted near. He thinks of what she might like, what trees she might want to be around, but nothing seems good enough for the woman who saved the multiverse. Now, eventually he realizes that the trick wasn't to wonder about the specifics of the thing, and he switches gears. So instead of focusing on what type of clearing she might like best, he thinks of his friend and walks until he finds a place that feels right. And he ends up on a grassy hill that overlooks the town. There are oak trees nearby, and she'll be able to witness what goes on in the village. And of course, when she grows into a full tree, she'll be able to go anywhere she wants. He muses that Zalfir will welcome her. Teferi digs into the dirt and plants the little acorn and waters it with water from his own gourd. Then he sits on the ground and he begins talking to Ren, as well as watching what's going on in the village. In town, he sees Mirans dancing alongside the Zalfirans by the fireside with the Zalfirans teaching the Mirans the steps. He tells Ren that he wants to thank her for everything that she's done, but that he's also experiencing grief over losing her, over losing another friend. And he allows himself to weep here. And I'll read this from a story. Tears for him and his lost years. Tears for Karn and his lost past. Tears for Nyssa and Ajani and all the others who may never wake now that Phyrexia has fallen. And most of all, there are tears for those who cannot join in the dancing by the fire. Teferi weeps until the night overtakes the day. Thanks Ren for her company. And then he goes to join the others. He heads to the healer's ward, where he can't help but notice that it's fuller than it has ever been. Beds for the injured are placed outside to accommodate everyone, and the cries of the dying juxtapose the celebrations by the fire. And Teferi, he doesn't look away from any of it. And he even helps the healers where he can. He wishes the injured well before finally making his way to his friends. So clearly Teferi is dealing with the losses in his own way, but eventually he does make his way over to Karn, Koth, Kaya, and the others. As Teferi enters, he hears voices talking about what should be done with Ajani and Nyssa. Remember, they had been captured alive at the end of the battle with Nuphorexia. Ajani had been netted by Zelfir's warriors, and Nyssa had been bopped in the back of the head by Elspeth and knocked <laughs> unconscious. No one could bear hurting them at the time, and I really don't blame them. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Chandra would have exploded into a fiery mess if anyone dared to hurt Nyssa. Yeah, and there's a very real fear here from Teferi, and actually everyone in the ward, that taking Ajani and Nyssa alive may actually have been in vain. They truthfully don't know if they will survive at all now that Phyrexia has fallen and Elish Norn is no more. 
all the other Phyrexians have perished, what will become of the planeswalkers who were Phyrexianized? Both Ajani and Nyssa are laid out on beds in a dedicated room, both of them still unconscious. Aside from their breathing and occasional twitching, they are completely motionless. And Chandra has not moved from Nyssa's side. She's been holding her hand this entire time. Ajani appears much the same, as if no one had dared to approach. Koth, Karn, and Kaya are all here too, and Kaya is trying to talk sense into Chandra, always the one to speak plainly, regardless of emotions. She says to Chandra, you have to stop holding on, claiming Chandra is believing in a fairy tale and hoping that Nyssa can come back. Not just wake up, but come back to her normal self, who she was before she was ever touched by Phyrexia. And truthfully, Kaya is right in a sense. It is really unlikely that Nyssa can not just wake up, but come back. And I hear what Kaya is saying. I do. But Kaya is never the type to sugarcoat things. And I think pushing Chandra about this isn't doing her any good either. If we know anything about Chandra... She has to come to her own realization at her own time. And um, Kaya, don't push people to get over their loved ones quicker, especially when that person is a fire mage. But alas, Kaya is Kaya. Uh, <laughs> it's so true. Now, Sahili and Teferi theorize that the reason Ajani and Nyssa are unconscious is because Ren swapped the planes of Zalfir and Nuphorexia, which means Nuphorexia isn't necessarily gone. It's just off in a place where nothing can reach it. And Phyrexia's signal, their whole amplification system used to spread influence and unity, was the glistening oil. So now that they've left the multiverse, they've gone out of range, is what Sahili has theorized. And she's speaking of the Phyrexians here. She says the oil keeps listening for new orders, but isn't receiving any. I think it was all tied back to Norn. A megalomaniac of that scale wouldn't want anyone else to have control over her army. I imagine she was the only one who could send orders, and further, that the oil is rendered inert without her. Wouldn't want a rival seizing control when you've lost contact, would you? So without her... They might be asleep forever, said Koth. Or they might wake up, said Chandra, who sounded as if she was trying to convince herself first and foremost. The best thing to do is wait. And this conversation with Sahili had happened days ago from when Teferi had stepped into the room now. Now... Malira is also in the room, and she is in very bad shape. She, remember, had been speared through the chest by Nyssa in the battle. So it's a miracle that she's remained alive this long, but with a heavy heart, Teferi realizes that Malira probably doesn't have much longer. The chest wound has festered, and it's slowly killing her. And there's just nothing the healers can do, which... Oh, it's yeah. so brutal because Malira did so much and sacrificed so much to try to save people. And also, let's remember, she's one of the only people who can heal Phyresis. Yes, she is. That is a huge deal that she she is the only one who knows how to heal, who who might potentially know how to save a Johnny and Nyssa. Um, Absolutely. And so Teferi recognizes that talking about you know, talking about death or the possibility of not waking up isn't really fair to talk about in front of Malira. So he shuts down the conversation about Ajani and Nissa not waking up, realizing that it's really not fair to discuss that when Malira is literally wasting away and will not have an opportunity to wake up. Malira, having still a small bit of strength in her as she's dying, says she has a plan to save Ajani and Nissa. 
Of course she does. She's Malira. She's amazing. Of course she does. Yeah. So we switch to Koth's perspective right after Malira details her plan to the others in the ward. Now, Koth is not happy and he seeks out Elspeth for advice. Koth and Elspeth are old friends, remember? They grew up on Mirrodin together. And he remarks to himself how different Elspeth is as an angel. How proud he is of her in this new form, but also how just different she is from the old Elspeth. The old Elspeth cried often, rarely broke the silence, and now Elspeth's angel form only allows flickers of emotion and there's no tears. And she is the first to speak to him when he approaches and has a moment of hesitation. So Koth relays what Malira's plan is, that she will use her healing abilities combined with Karn's planeswalker power to A, manipulate metal and the specialized spark within Karn to cleanse Ajani and Nissa's sparks, the very essences that made them planeswalkers. A cleanse sort of filtered spark, at least Malira hoped, would reverse the phyresis. But the cost of this plan is huge. Malira will die in the process, and Karn will have to sacrifice his own spark to do this. And it may not even work after all is said and done, but it's the only hope they have. So obviously with this plan, Koth is torn. Of course he wants to save Ajani and Nyssa, but at the cost of Malira's life, he's not so sure. But Elspeth, she agrees with the plan. She says to Koth, you're afraid. And he wonders back at her, aren't you? No, Elspeth says. Once you said to me you'd fight for Mirrodin, even if there was no Mirrodin left. You stayed, knowing you might die, and leaving me no choice in the matter. You were my friend. And I left Mirrodin thinking you'd been torn apart by Phyrexians. For years, that thought pained me. I no longer feel that pain, but the lesson lingered. We all choose how to face our end. And some causes are worth the price of a life. Malira is willing to pay that price on behalf of others. There is valor in that. She is making this choice herself and for the benefit of others. She'll be among friends. And that is such an Elspeth thing to say. Regard, like Even before Elspeth was an angel, just the, the sheer amount of bravery and wisdom and courage that Elspeth had in these types of moments, she, it, it's just so very Elspeth. And it, it just made me very happy to hear Elspeth trying to give Koth some strength here in, in the way that he needed. And Elspeth's kind of always been able to like cut through the noise and see the bigger picture. Yeah. And that's what she's doing here. And she's telling Koth straight up, like, you're not able to see this because you're afraid because you don't want to lose another friend, essentially. Right. And that's so understandable. And and Koth, right now, he, I think he's trying to work through how he's supposed to move forward. His home, Mirrodin, is completely destroyed. And his best friend is different. She's still Elspeth, but now she's an archangel. And I think Koth just feels very, very alone. He's lost his whole home, and he's one of the last remaining Mirrens. But Elspeth is supportive saying that Zalfir could be his home if he let it. And this is from the story. Nothing about this place is home. He doesn't see how it could be. Maybe Elspeth can from her vaunted place. But here on the ground? She might be immortal now. She has all of eternity to make herself feel at home. 
but him. I feel really bad for Koth. He's been through so much. I mean, they all have, but Koth has kind of been our character who has been the steadfast ally this whole time, supporting all our other characters as they tried and tried again to stand up against Elish Nord. You know, the whole time Koth was there. And without Koth, they would not have triumphed. Mm -hmm. Ren would have never made it to the tree. Even Jace's plan back in Phyrexia, All Will Be One, would have never been possible if not for Koth always being there, always willing to help, always putting his life on the line time and time again. I know. And now, yeah, he has no home. And he has no home. He's losing. He lost sort of Elspeth as a friend because she's Archangel. She's different now. And he's about to lose Malira. I... Yeah, and like, let's not forget, like, it's not just that Mirrodin was destroyed. You can rebuild destroyed. You can't rebuild being flung into the abyss, essentially, right? Yeah. Yeah, He can't get back there to rebuild, even if he could. And there's only a handful of Mirrens here with him now. Exactly. Yeah. So Koth ends this conversation with Elspeth by thinking to himself, this place isn't home, but there is a little of home in it. So he is starting to see the hope. And maybe that's part of Elspeth's new abilities, right? Is being able to give people hope. I mean, she's an angel now, after all. So back in the ward, they're preparing for the cleansing of Nyssa and Ajani's sparks. Malira says she wants to be outside when it happens, and no one's going to deny her that. So they all move out to this grassy field in the night. They lay Ajani and Nyssa down, and Malira lies down between them. Now Teferi is here with them, with Koth, Karn, Chandra, of course, and Kaya, because it's going to take all of them together if this has any chance of working. So Karn says he's ready, and Teferi starts up his magic, distorting time around them to slow things way, way down. Teferi can't keep this up for long, though, so Malira and Karn have to move quickly. This is from the story. Karn acts first. Driving his hand into the metal portions of their bodies, he pulls something out, something shimmering and bright. Teferi's ears ring as Karn's magic builds within him, an engine gathering steam. Or is this hesitation? What he is about to do will change him forever. In some ways, he's saying goodbye to an old friend to save two new ones. No wonder there's so much angst to him. Teferi strains against the waves of time. Karn will make the right choice here. He knows it. With a boom that almost throws Teferi off his concentration, the two orbs disappear. Malira then grabs the hands of her companions and begins to glow, focusing her healing, spreading it into a Johnny first. And I love this this next bit and how the story describes Teferi's and Malira's combined efforts here. Every second that cannot pass is a hook in Teferi's soul. He grunts as he strains to keep time stopped long enough for Malira to finish her work. As he watches, the glow ripples through Ajani. Wherever it goes, it leaves their skin brighter and removes the sinister luster Phyrexia had impressed upon them. The metal that remains is nearly as pure as moon silver. The two orbs that had disappeared a second ago reappear in Karn's outstretched hands. One of them is whole, but the other is crumbling. Ash-like motes of energy fall away from it. Teferi is used to seeing things happen in slow motion. This is like watching a leaf decay right before his eyes. Lattice holes open as the light courses through it. And Malira rushes to reach up to touch the orb directly, trying to stop it from completely crumbling apart. Teferi exclaims here that he cannot slow down the orb's disintegration, so they have to act now. With Kaya's help, 
they drive the orbs back into Ajani and Nyssa. And right then, Teferi drops his spell, collapsing to his knees. All right, so but we all want to know, did it work? We think so, because Ajani opens his good eye and wonders, where am I? Yay! Ajani is back! <laughs> oh, that's so exciting. So exciting, he's back. I can't believe it. Okay, so he looks around, exhausted, clearly exhausted, and he slowly seems to recollect that however impossible it is, He's in Zelfir. I, I can imagine it must be so disorientating for a Johnny who oh, yeah. we can't imagine what it's been like to be Phyrexianized this whole time. Whether he was even there, does he not remember? Is it kind of like amnesia where he doesn't remember what he did or was he there? And he actually had, we don't know. We don't know. But all we know is that a Johnny is completely disorientated, but he's a Johnny. He is here. He's back. And he says, I'll congratulate you another time to fairy. I think my body needs to rest. And Ajani has deserved all the sleep in the world. Oh my gosh, he's back. Now, as exciting as it is that Ajani is back, unfortunately, Malira is gone. And this broke my heart because it's just so impactful how she's not a planeswalker. She didn't have to be a hero. She didn't have to do any of this. But she chose to, and it really just shows you how important every little sacrifice is in a situation that's this big and impactful. Now, Koth gathers up Malira's body in his arms and begins to weep over her, over the loss of everything. His friends around him console him, but Koth is just beyond heartbroken. But at least Malira is no longer in pain. She's at peace. And she died giving life and hope to others. It was what she wanted. But still, I'm with you, Harless. This is a profound loss and something especially painful for Koth. So let's talk about Nyssa for a minute because her orb was disintegrating when it went back into her and she is not waking up just yet. Now Chandra tries to shake her. She calls out to her. And Teferi's heart just sinks. Maybe it had been too much to hope for, returning someone from Phyresis. Even Urza hadn't figured that one out. Who were they to try? Having no other option didn't mean they'd succeed. You could dedicate your whole life to a craft and never get any acclaim for it. You could spend every waking minute laboring to further a cause and never see it come to fruition. Wanting something so badly it threatens to break you does not mean you are entitled to it. But sometimes we hear a single word from Nyssa. Chandra? Sometimes it'll be worth it. It's worth it to be alive here on Zalfir. It's worth it to be surrounded by old friends and older community, families old and new. It's worth it to put the past at last behind him to build a new future. And it's worth it to see that happens for the others. To see the tension on Chandra's face melt to pure happiness, to see her clutch Nissa close, and to see Nissa hold her in turn, to hear the happy sobs along with the despairing ones. This is life. This is what they all fought for. What Malira died for. Why Karn's given up his spark. Why Teferi spent hundreds of years trying to restore his home. For this. I'm right here. Chandra says. 
She presses her lips to Nissa's. I'm right here, and I'm not going anywhere. Good, Teferi thinks. He won't be going anywhere for a while either. End March of the Machine. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Okay. So Nissa made it. I can't, uh, like I was about to cry reading all of this and even I was reading tearing it now. Up. I was tearing up. Yeah. Like it's so intense, but guys, Nissa made it. She made it. And a Johnny and, uh, Malira didn't make it. And Karn Spark is gone and poor Koth. And oh my goodness, this was such a roller coaster of an episode. A roller coaster is a good description for March of the Machine, I think, as like just a whole, like just a whole season, Harless. We reached the end of the main story. We like, holy smokes, this season. This season. No kidding. We lost so many characters. We have so many questions about so many more. The cascading impacts of the invasion across the multiverse. I can only imagine how monumental that is. The multiverse, we said it at the beginning of this episode, but the multiverse is never going to be the same again. It, it can't be after something like this. And I think... This is not in the way that Elish Norn imagined it. Definitely not. But I think we will always remember Elish Norn because of how longstanding the consequences of her Phyrexian reign impacted the multiverse. And the characters we lost because of it. I mean, I, for one, will never, ever forget Ren. I can't. I won't forget Malira. I won't forget Jaya. This story truthfully just changed so much for the multiverse and honestly had a really big impact on me reading it. Oh, for sure. Me too. It it actually changed how I look at magic and not in a bad way. It's just with immense new perspective. Like I now want, I legit want a collection of Ren cards, not because of the card, but in memoriam to Ren as a character, like as a way to remember her and respect her as a character because she saved the multiverse. I see a Ren card now, like I open up a Ren card and my heart twists with just remembering her story of like pride and sadness. And it, there's so many emotions now when I look at magic cards. And that's the power of a good story, right? Like this one took us through so many emotions. I mean, y'all, I know we're right there with us. Some of y'all tweeted at me about Nashi <laughs> earlier <laughs> on in this season. It's just so impactful. And We do have more story to tell you. We, like you, have questions that need answers. We have side stories we haven't yet ventured to. And we have a whole epilogue to cover in this season in March of the Machine, The Aftermath. So stay tuned for more coming soon. We hoped you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. And if you've been enjoying listening to us, we would be so appreciative if you could just leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. It helps support us and it helps support Magic Story so, so much. Thank you so much for listening on this epic roller coaster ride of a journey. Epic is maybe an understatement, but we will see you next time. And in the meantime, have, have a magical, magical day. day.